Joe intended this speech to be pathetic. The tenure of life among her lovers had hitherto been very uncertain. Culpepper turned toward her, but she had already vanished in the thicket. The colonel came up panting. I've looked all over town for you, and be dashed to you, sir. Who was that with you? A lady. Culpepper never lied, but he was discreet. Damn them all. Look here, Culp. I spotted the man who gave the order to pull me off the flow. Flow was what the colonel said. The other night. Who was it? asked Culpepper listlessly. Jack Follinsby. Who? Why, the son of that dashed nigger-worshipping, psalm-singing, Puritan Yankee. What's the matter now? Look here, Culp. You ain't going back on your blood, are you? You ain't going back on your word? You ain't going down at the feet of this trash like a whipped hound. Culpepper was silent. He was very white. Presently he looked up and said quietly, No. Culpepper Starbottle had challenged Jack Follinsby, and the challenge was accepted. The cause alleged was the expelling of Culpepper's uncle from the floor of the assembly hall by the order of Follinsby. This much Madrano Hollow knew and could swear to, but there were other strange rumors afloat, of which the blacksmith was an able expounder. You see, gentlemen, he said to the crowd gathered round his anvil, I ain't got no theory of this affair. I only give a few facts as have come to my knowledge. Culpepper and Jack meets quite accidental-like in Bob's saloon. Jack goes up to Culpepper and says, A word with you. Culpepper bows and steps aside in this way. Jack's standing about here. The blacksmith demonstrates the position of the parties with two old horseshoes on the anvil. Jack pulls a bracelet from his pocket and says, Do you know that bracelet? Culpepper says, I do not. Quite cool-like and easy. Jack says, You gave it to my sister. Culpepper says, Still cool as you please. I did not. Jack says, You lie, goddamn you, and draws his derringer. Culpepper jumps forward about here. Reference is made to the diagram. And Jack fires. Nobody hit. It's a mighty curious thing, gentlemen, continued the blacksmith, dropping suddenly into the abstract, and leaning meditatively on his anvil. It's a mighty curious thing, and nobody gets hit so often. You and me empties our revolvers sociably at each other, over a little game, and the room full and nobody gets hit. That's what gets me. Never mind, Thompson chimed in Bill Masters. There's another and better world where we shall know all that and become better shots. Go on with your story. Well, some grabs Culpepper and some grabs Jack, and so separates them. Then Jack tells him as how he had seen his sister wear a bracelet which he knew was one that had been given to Dolores by Colonel Starbottle. That Miss Joe wouldn't say where she got it but owned up to having seen Culpepper that day. Then, the most curious thing of it yet, what does Culpepper do but rise up and takes all back that he said, and allows that he did give her the bracelet. Now, my opinion, gentlemen, is that he lied, 
It ain't like that man to give a gal that he respects anything off of that piece Dolores. But it's all the same now, and there's nothing but one thing to be done. The way this one thing was done belongs to the record of Madrono Hollow. The morning was bright and clear, the air was slightly chill, but that was from the mist which arose along the banks of the river. As early as six o'clock the designated ground, a little opening in the Madrono Grove, was occupied by Culpepper Starbottle, Colonel Starbottle, his second, and the surgeon. The colonel was exalted and excited, albeit in a rather imposing, dignified way, and pointed out to the surgeon the excellence of the ground, which at that hour was wholly shaded from the sun, whose steady stare is more or less discomposing to the duelist. The surgeon threw himself on the grass and smoked his cigar. Culpepper, quiet and thoughtful, leaned against a tree and gazed up the river. There was a strange suggestion of a picnic about the group, which was heightened when the colonel drew a bottle from his coat-tails, and, taking a preliminary draught, offered it to the others. "'Cocktail, sir!' he explained with dignified precision. "'A gentleman, sir, should never go out without him. Keeps off the morning chill. I remember going out in 53 with Hank Boompirater. Good catch, sir.' The man had to put on his overcoat, and was shot in it. Fact. But the noise of wheels drowned the colonel's reminiscences, and a rapidly driven buggy, containing Jack Follinsby, Calhoun Bungstarter, his second, and Bill Masters, drew up on the ground. Jack Follinsby leaped out gaily. I had the jolliest work to get away without the governor's hearing, he began addressing the group before him with the greatest volubility. Calhoun Bungstarter touched his arm, and the young man blushed. It was his first duel. "'If you are ready, gentlemen,' said Mr. Bungstarter, "'we had better proceed to business. I believe it is understood that no apology will be offered or accepted. We may as well settle preliminaries at once, or I fear we shall be interrupted.' There is a rumor in town that the Vigilance Committee are seeking our friends the Starbottles, and I believe, as their fellow countrymen, I have the honor to be included in their warrant. At this probability of interruption, that gravity which had hitherto been wanting fell upon the group. The preliminaries were soon arranged, and the principals placed in position. Then there was a silence. To a spectator from the hill, impressed with the picnic suggestion, what might have been the popping of two champagne corks broke the stillness. Culpepper had fired in the air. Colonel Starbottle uttered a low curse. Jack Follinsby sulkily demanded another shot. Again the parties stood opposed to each other. Again the word was given, and what seemed to be the simultaneous report of both pistols rose upon the air. But after an interval of a few seconds, all were surprised to see Culpepper slowly raise his unexploded weapon and fire it harmlessly above his head. Then, throwing the pistol upon the ground, he walked to a tree and leaned silently against it. Jack Follinsby flew into a paroxysm of fury. Colonel Starbottle raved and swore. 
Mr. Bungstarter was properly shocked at their conduct. Really, gentlemen, if Mr. Culpepper Starbottle declines another shot, I do not see how we can proceed. But the Colonel's blood was up, and Jack Follinsby was equally implacable. A hurried consultation ensued, which ended by Colonel Starbottle taking his nephew's place as principal, Bill Masters acting as second, vice Mr. Bunkstarter, who declined all further connection with the affair. Two distinct reports rang through the hollow. Jack Follinsby dropped his smoking pistol, took a step forward, and then dropped heavily upon his face. In a moment the surgeon was at his side. The confusion was heightened by the trampling of hoofs and the voice of the blacksmith bidding them flee for their lives before the coming storm. A moment more and the ground was cleared, and the surgeon, looking up, beheld only the white face of Culpepper bending over him. "'Can you save him?' "'I cannot say. Hold up his head a moment while I run to the buggy.' Culpepper passed his arm tenderly around the neck of the insensible man. Presently the surgeon returned with some stimulants. "'There, that will do. Mr. Starbottle, thank you. Now, my advice is to get away from here while you can. I'll look after Follinsby. Do you hear?' Culpepper's arm was still around the neck of his late foe, but his head had dropped and fallen on the wounded man's shoulder. The surgeon looked down, and catching sight of his face, stooped and lifted him gently in his arms. He opened his coat and waistcoat. There was blood upon his shirt, and a bullet hole in his breast. He had been shot unto death at the first fire. End of chapter 6